Bonjour. Uh, yeah. I never thought I would stand here talking about soil when I started working as a barista. Because uh, I never thought soil was important in my life. But without soil, we don't live. So I'm going to talk a little bit about soil today. I've been studying soil biology for since January. I finished in August. Uh, and it's an online course that I've taken. That, that doesn't sound very serious. But uh, it's actually a professor that has classes online called Dr. Elaine Ingham. She's regarded as sort of a guru in soil biology, but also controversial. Uh, and I think any person who knows uh, a lot about a subject is always going to be controversial. So my knowledge is based on her uh, teachings. And I've also, of course, uh, looked at YouTube and tried to research uh, whatever I can, read books about biodynamic farming, conventional farming, and so on. So I might be wrong when I talk about this, but I might also be right. So there's no room for questions afterwards, just so you know. <laughs> Look at this uh, beautiful forest. Uh, this is actually a picture of a farmed forest in, in uh, Norway. But uh, many, many years ago, a whole Norway was covered with forests like this. And uh, they're very healthy, very green. There are only two or three different species of trees in this forest. And, uh, you know, life goes on. They, they live, they produce. It's one of the most productive uh, systems we have in the world, the old growth forests. Yet, they're never fertilized. Nobody has come in here with pesticides, minerals, or anything. And still, they're able to produce a lot more organic matter than, for instance, a coffee farm. Coffee farm typically has two or three different species of trees, like banana, coffee, some shade trees. Yet, the coffee trees are not able to live unless we fertilize the trees. That's a little bit strange, isn't it? How come a forest which is much more productive can survive with no human interference and a coffee farm cannot? We think about soil as uh, stuff we stand on. And everyone, everyone in this room knows what soil is, right? The problem is most of us don't really know what it is. Because soil is defined uh, to be uh, a part of mineral content, so kind of sand, silt, clay, rocks, pebbles, so on. Uh, organic matter, which means some kind of plant matter that is uh, either decomposed or not decomposed. Uh, organisms, living organisms, so life. And something we call abiotic fa factors, which is you know humidity, temperature, and so on. We normally think about soils as mineral and organic matter. We forget about the life in the soil. These are two different soils. One is called soil because it's defined as soil. It has living matter, so the top one here. You can see it because it has good structure, dark, deep color because of humic acids produced by organisms. And this is a good soil. The one on the bottom is what we call dirt. Why do we call it dirt? There is no life there. There's no living organisms. How can I tell? Well, erosion. There's no structure in the soil. You see a lot of weeds. So there might be bacteria there, but not so much else. Because weeds really like soils with a lot of bacteria. Weeds are only supposed to grow fast, produce some seeds, and die. The roots are very shallow, and so on. So they really like this kind of dirt material. Problem with coffee farms is, normally when you establish a coffee farm, uh, except maybe from in Ethiopia. But normally, if you go to Brazil or Colombia, 
you buy a piece of land. First thing you do is you cut down everything. All the trees, you just clear the land. Some people plow the soil to really kill everything in the soil, to make it uh, ex exposed to the sun. And then you plant coffee trees in dead soils. So we plant them in dirt. So how can we expect the, the plants to live when there's nothing there to provide them nutrients? So the alternative for us is mineral fertilizer. Of course that works because you put nitrogen in the soil or in the dirt and there's nothing else there that can feed the tree, so the tree just sucks it up and it thrives. And then you have all sorts of problems that we know of and that's why we you know, come up with new pesticides, new fungicides and so on. So these organisms that we really need in our soil can be divided into two groups. Um, one is aerobic organisms, type of organisms that need oxygen to survive. And then you have the anaerobic organisms that don't need a lot of oxygen to survive. So typically, if you drink wine, that's an anaerobic fermented drink. Uh, and you have these kind of organisms producing alcohol, right? Alcohol for plant roots is very poisoning. Alcohol dissolves plant roots. So if you dip plants into alcohol, the roots just dissolves into this kind of soup. The problem with anaerobic organisms is they really like to live in dirt. So the problem uh, in a tropical farm, for instance, is you clear the land, you have a lot of rain, and it rains a lot. The rain compacts the soil, so the water is not able to drain down through into the deep soils. So it sort of creates a water logged layer in the soil. There's no oxygen there for the organisms to grow, so the anaerobic organisms take over, start producing alcohol, and the roots are not able to go through there. People think that roots don't go down uh, more than one meter on a coffee tree, for instance. And that's because we have this compaction layer at one meter, maybe, where you have this anaerobic uh, condition. So the roots, they don't want to grow there because then they're dissolved, so they grow sideways. If you build structure in the soil, uh, have enough oxygen, the roots can go down much, much further. I've seen pictures of grassroots growing 10 feet, but yet we think grassroots are very shallow. They're not. It's just because they normally grow in very poor soils or dirt. So uh, if you have this kind of dirt condition with a compacted layer in the soil, uh, it rains a lot. Normally, you'll see a lot of uh, soil runoff and erosion. There's nothing to hold the soil. If you have good organisms, you have typically a lot of fungus in the soil fungal hypha that binds the soil together, creates structure, creates air pockets and so on. So if you have a lot of rain, the water just goes down in the soil and stays there and the roots are able to access it because they don't have this compaction layer stopping them uh, from growing. And it's not actually the compaction layer itself. It's not that it's very hard that the roots can't grow, it's the alcohol content in the anaerobic uh, conditions. Because we all see roots growing through asphalt and concrete, right? They have no problems going through that. So uh, when I started learning about soil biology, I actually discovered that a coffee plant also has roots. I never thought about that. Uh, you know, we think about the cherries, we think about the leaves and so on, but roots are really important to a coffee plant. And I'll explain a little bit how a plant works. You probably know this from uh, kindergarten or something. This is called the, pho the photosynthesis. Oh, I managed to say it. <laughs> Um, 
magically the plant can use the energy of the sun to bind CO2 that's in the air. It doesn't really want the oxygen, so it throws that out so we can breathe. And then it binds the carbon uh, molecules into large chains, sugar chains. And then it actually uses that to attract organisms. Of course, the roots are important to, to suck up water from the soil, but they're also important in a very different way. Did you know that between 60 to 80% of a coffee plant's energy is distributed down to the roots? I didn't know that. That's a lot of energy. 50% of that, so half of that, are leached into the soils as exudates. And exudates doesn't tell you anything, but it's a liquid containing sugars, carbohydrates, and proteins. So my professor calls it cakes and cookies, because you have eggs, flour, and sugar, right? Um, why does the plant do this? Every plant does this. It's not just coffee plants. Every plant does this. It does it to attract microorganisms. Because the microorganisms, they can extract nutrients from the soils and make it in a plant-available form. So, if a plant it really needs a lot of nitrogen, it will send out a lot of simple sugars to attract bacteria. The bacteria comes along and eats these kind of sugars around the root zone and then other guys comes along and eat them, and then when they poop, nutrients are released where the roots are for the plant to eat. So the roots are really important for, uh, for coffee trees. This is called the soil food web. It's a chart that was made for the USDA uh, website, or their literature, written by the professor that I've been learning from. This explains how microorganisms and plants live in harmony uh, to feed each other. So it's called the soil food web. I can explain. The plant binds the carbon uh, from the CO2, leaches it through exudates to the soil, the ba bacteria and fungus comes to eat the, uh, the sugars and proteins in the exudates, and then they store all these uh, sugars in their body, which the other microorganisms need, like bigger ones, predators, for instance amoebas, nematodes, microarthropods, they eat, some eat only bacteria, some eat only fungus, but they don't need all the nitrogen that is in the bacteria, for instance. They only need the carbon to survive. And eat, you know, millions of bacteria every day. So um, when they poop, all that nitrogen is coming out in the soil, where the root is, in a plant available form, for the plant to eat. This is how they live together. The problem is in when you have this dirt, you don't have fungus, you don't have a lot of bacteria, you don't have a lot of these nematodes and protozoa. So the plant is still producing exudates. There's no one there to eat it. So they don't get any nutrients. The problem with conventional farming, or I should say mineral fertilizing farming, is that <clears throat> most of the mineral fertilizer you use are actually salts, they're minerals. What do we do to preserve food in the old days? Well, we used salts to kill bacteria, to preserve ham and meat and so on. So when you start throwing out this nitrogen fertilizer, you just start killing all the bacteria in your soil. Pesticides do the same thing. Herbicides, fungicides. Fungicides, what do they do? We think they only kill the bad fungus, but they also kill the good fungus that the plant needs to protect itself from disease, that the plant needs to feed itself. So this system works very well if you don't have any organisms. It doesn't uh, match with 
biological farming at all. So you can say that if you are running a conventional farm, for instance in wine, you're using mineral fertilizer, uh, people talk about terroir, yeah, but there's no actual taste from the soil because there's no interaction between the plant and the soil. There's no organisms there to give them the minerals that are in the soils. The plants cannot eat the minerals that are in the soils without the organisms to extract it. So, some uh, expected benefits from biological farming that my professor is telling me is going to happen. I, we'll see. But everyone thinks, you know, when you start with organic farming, your yields drop. That's what we're taught in coffee. Oh, you lose about 50% of your yields. Uh, she has proven with other types of crops that your yields go up. And the reason is the plant leaches these exudates 24-7, all day long, all night long. The bacteria feed on them all night long, all day long. So the plant is fed all the time, all year round. When we use conventional farming, we fertilize maybe three times a year. And we don't really know what the plant needs. The plant knows what it needs. Higher quality, of course, more nutrients, higher quality. Lower costs, I haven't spent any money on fertilizer yet. Less pest and disease, because you can utilize microorganisms to protect the plant from leaf rust, from, uh, from the coffee berry borer, for instance, because they have natural predators in fungus and so on. Better water retention, so we'll, we're having the El Nino now in Colombia. I haven't had water on my farm for four months. So I'm hoping when my soil is fixed that this won't be a problem anymore because the roots can go down and there's, there will be enough water deep down in my soils. Right now they're struggling because my soils, soils are very poor. So this is what I expect, but uh, I have to prove it first. And please don't go around to farmers in, in producing country and say, oh, Tim said if you just do this, everything will be perfect. Because <clears throat> I, I am really struggling with my farm. Uh, it takes a lot of time and knowledge to, to establish this uh, uh, environment in your soil. So how do we do that? Well, uh, I'll take you quickly through how I actually work now. I don't really work with the plants uh, that much. I work with the compost. So in order to establish uh, good, healthy soil, you have to make compost. There's no way around it. And I think uh, a coffee tree needs a fungal-dominated compost because it normally lives in a forest, and forest soils are full of fungus. Typically, a prairie soil is more bacterial-dominated. So fungi, they like to eat materi materials like this, like woody material, cardboard, newspaper, uh, dried organic matter uh, that doesn't contain a lot of sugars. They're very complex uh, uh, chemically, so the fungus can break them down. The bacteria are not able to break this down. But you need some bacteria as well, because you need nitrogen. So we use grass, you know, freshly cut grass, full of sugars that the bacteria can eat. And then you need some party foods, because you invited the bacteria and the fungus, but you need to get the party started. So coffee pulp, for instance, full of nitrogen, or cow dung, full of uh, high nitrogen. So that will really get your compost started. If you use too much of uh, the, the high nitrogen stuff, your compost piles will just heat up and they can explode, actually. So we have to be a little careful. Um, I use a thermometer uh, to monitor the temperature in the compost pile. And this is just because when the organism starts growing, they create a lot of heat. So within three to four days, I'm already measuring around 60 to 70 degrees inside the pile. 
So you can sous vide eggies in uh, the compost. They actually do that at Blue Hill Farms. Um, and when the temperature is too high, that means the organisms are growing too fast. They are using all the oxygen, so you might turn the pile to become anaerobic, and you don't want that. You want aerobic organisms. So then you just have to turn the pile. So typically, this takes two to three weeks. I have to turn the pile maybe four times. And that's it. I don't work all day long for two to three weeks. You sit and wait for the temperature, and it's, it's about two days' work total. Uh, the good thing about thermal compost is it's free. Uh, you can create the balance that your plant needs. So typically, a vegetable will need a different balance of organisms than a coffee tree or a shrub. Um, they have to be aerobic. So if your compost stinks like uh, manure or alcohol or you know that pulpy smell you go on a coffee farm and it still smells like wine or something, that's really not good for your plants. So it has to be aerobic. It needs to smell sweet like uh, cedar and wood and so on. <clears throat> the problem with the, my farm is that I don't have a lot of time to, to make compost. I cannot stay on my farm all year round. Ideally, I would spread a lot of compost on my farm. But uh, there's other ways to actually spread the compost. The compost is actually not food for the trees. The compost is food for the organisms. And you're trying to make the organisms grow in your soil. So what we do actually is we, we fill a bucket full of water and you can use uh, 200 liters of water and five kilos of compost. You put the compost in a tea bag and you extract the organisms and then you can just spray them on your soil. So they will, when they find food in your soil, which they will because there are plants there, they will start to grow. So it's much more efficient, but it, you have to apply a couple more times. Uh, if, if you apply compost, it's a little bit uh, less time demanding in the application. There's another way of doing this. Uh, you can add an air pump that blows air into the water. You can extract the compost, uh, so you extract the organisms, and then you can feed the organisms in the liquid with, for instance, kelp or fish hydrolysate or something. So you grow the organisms, because when they're growing, the organisms actually create these kind of glues. They glue together, and you can spray it on your foliar uh, uh, surface, so the leaves of the coffee plant, to protect it from leaf rust, because if you occupy the leaves with a lot of beneficial fungus, there's no room for the pathogenic fungus to live there. Because the, the good fungus are having a great time on that leaf surface, you know? They don't want the other guys. So I'm, I'm actually only going to use this technique to, to prevent uh, leaf rust. I'm not going to use copper spray, for instance. We discussed that yesterday. Because copper kills the leaf rust, but it also kills the beneficial fungi. So you cannot think about killing stuff. You have to encourage the life that you need and sort of not invite the other guys. This is uh, one of the workers on the farm spraying. It's very simple uh, because it's very hilly. We cannot use uh, tractors and stuff that will also cause uh, compaction in the soil. So it's uh, you know kind of a hard uh, work, but it's also nice. Does it work? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> It's too early for me to say. Uh, this is the same leaf. Uh, the one on the left side uh, was a picture I took the day before we started applying our first compost extract. The second one is nine days later, eight or nine days later. Uh, in this period, we didn't have a lot of rain, so it might have just become a little greener because it got a little bit of liquid. So I don't really know, but there was a clear difference in the green color in the leaf. And especially if you start studying the, the sort of the middle and stuff, you see that there's a clear color difference. 
And these, the plant on the left had not ever gotten fertilized. And it had been in the field for uh, since February. So now it's, this was October. So a lot of time without nutrients. So yeah, maybe it works. I hope so. <laughs> I depend on it. So let's just have a quick look at some microorganisms because we talk about them, but we don't really know what they look like. But we can look at them. We can look at them in microscopes. It's very, very fun, actually. Uh, so these are sort of the main types of uh, microorganisms. There are, of course, more, but uh, these are the basic ones. Um, this is my soil before I started planting. Uh, it doesn't tell you anything, but all these little small dots are bacteria. This is uh, organic material and stuff. But there's not a lot of stuff happening here. This is my soil after an application of uh, compost extract. Of course, here you have a lot of mineral particles, but all these kind of small dots, you have these rods and different shapes of bacteria. So I know that I have a lot more bacteria now. But that's not enough because my coffee plants, they need potassium, phosphorus, and bacteria doesn't really provide that. I need fungus as well. So what I really want to see in my soil is this bacteria and also predators. This is a fungal hypha beneficial fungus because it's very wide in diameter, good color. So this will provide my plants with nutrients. This slide is from my compost, so I'm hoping I'm, this will grow in my soil. And let's uh, have a look at the party. You want to see the party? One, two, three. Having a great time, huh? So this is a amoeba that eats bacteria, tested amoeba, it eats bacteria, and when it poops, you have nitrogen for your plant. This is another amoeba. These are actually one amoeba producing another one because they form it. This is a fungal spore, and you have all these kind of bacteria moving around. Uh, this is a great, uh, if this was soil, this would be fantastic. You only miss the fungus. Uh, but this is actually my compost. <laughs> uh, here's another guy. Look at this uh, little uh, thing here. He has a great time. This is a nematode, and when you talk about nematodes with farmers, they think, oh shit, they're bad for my roots and everything. But this is a bacterial feeding nematode that produces a lot of nitrogen for your plant. You have fungal feeding nematodes, you have nematode eating nematodes, and so on. So these are really hard to get into your soil, but if you have a lot of food there, they will come back for sure. You can sit and watch this forever. So just by, looking, <laughs> just by looking at the morphology of the organisms, you can really tell if your soil is healthy or not. I don't need to send my soil to a chemical analysis because I already know that my soil contains everything that I need. I just need organisms to be able to extract it so it's plant available. So if I typically send my soil to Morton, he will say, oh, you're missing iron and so on. I've seen a lot of this deep red soils that are so rich in irons, and then you go to the farm and you can still see coffee trees suffering from iron deficiency. That doesn't make sense. The soil is rich in iron. So you really need to have the organisms. That's uh, all I have to say about organisms today, but uh, I want to show you a short video, if we have time, uh, about my farm project in Colombia. Uh, we just made a website as well, but uh, if you want to learn more about it, please don't hesitate to contact us or me. <laughs> I'm uh, learning about this, so I'm really interested in discussing any topic, uh, whether it's conventional or whatever. I really enjoy doing this. So please have a look at the video, and I'll give you some references at the end.
teaser. <clears throat> so, some resources if you're interested in learning more about how this works. Soilfoodweb.com is uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham's website. Uh, this is where I took my classes, actually, life in the soil classes. Kind of expensive, but changed my life, so well worth it. Uh, Teaming with Microbes is a very nice book written by a Canadian uh, garden uh, columnist. Uh, very, very uh, nice book. He also has some YouTube videos, so you can just Google his name. Symphony of the Soil, a long documentary about how soil works. Really recommend to watch that. It's a really great documentary. And of course, the USDA has some great information that nobody reads. <laughs> Thank you very much. Fantastic, and um, thank you, Tim. Um, if there are some seats for the people, kind of stay there. There's a seat here. Two more here. Two, yeah, two more here. There's one there. So if you want to kind of squeeze in, guys, it's uh, make yourselves comfortable. Um, over time. Uh, well, <laughs> I think you covered so much in there that I, I expected it to be over time. Uh, I mean, I was looking up to see uh, you did a presentation at Nordic Roasters Forum on that, but you seem to have kind of expanded here a, a little bit more. Um, Really interested in, in the whole farm project, and I'm sure everybody else is. I mean, we've, we've seen it on Twitter, we've, we've seen the photos and things. I mean, what do the guys think when you turn up on the farm and say, we're going to make this compost stuff, and I'm going to create lots of work for you? I mean, how are they adapting to, to that happening? Well, Elias that I bought the land from, I, I still buy coffee from him. He's, uh, he, he just shakes his head and thinks I'm crazy. And I, I know my colleague went there without me, and uh, they were discussing, like, you know, I'm really worried about this project, and I don't think Tim knows what he's doing, and I, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> but uh, they actually are very interested in when I started making the compost, because they, they know that compost is good for, for their soils anyway. Uh, so they actually want to learn it, uh, and there's some other farmers working there, uh, because they don't have a harvest right now. Really interested in learning how to do it. Not necessarily converting to organic, which they could, but uh, uh, using it uh, in addition to, to, to the mineral fertilizer. And I'm not going to hog all the questions because we, we have got a shortened Q&A, but I'm interested when you talked about you, at the beginning you'd looked at uh, biodynamic farming and you'd looked at organic farming. And, and I mean, were there any things that you've kind of taken? Because I, I kind of look at the biodynamic farming and think there's lots of things that I really like about it. You know, planting a skull in the middle of a field and then putting that much lavender oil all over it doesn't really wash it for me. But there's lots of positives. Is there anything that you kind of really liked from uh, the, those two particular types of farming? And we follow the lunar calendar. So, uh, for instance, when we prune trees on the farm, we follow when to do that because that really affects the sap in the trees. Uh, a lot of the preparations actually make sense because it is actually about growing organisms. It's just uh, we can do it now in a more efficient way by using air pumps and stuff so you don't have to stir for an hour. But it's the same thing, you're aerating the liquid. Um, and also by using a microscope you can actually assess what you do have in your soil and what you need to add. Whereas the biodynamic is more like, uh, I don't really know, so let's just do everything and then see what happens. And do you have any skulls buried on the farm anywhere? No, I don't, but I should just f to make fun. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm a really fan of uh, biodynamic. The problem is that for a Norwegian guy not living in Colombia, uh, it's sort of a lifestyle. You have to live the whole biodynamic uh, lifestyle to, because there's a lot of things you need to do. 
And uh, for me, it just didn't make sense time-wise to do it. I definitely think that holistic approach to farming that Biodynamics has, you know, we're looking after everything on the farm, not just the plants, but the people, you know, other animals that live there, bacteria, all those things have some real positives for farming. Um, I asked you to write notes as you were going through. Does anybody have a question they'd like to ask Tim? I expect everybody's hand to go, by the way. Thank you. Hi, uh, I'm Steven. I work for Kutum. Just two quick questions. <clears throat> from what I've seen from compost tea, uh, people were oxygenating it. Is that the, what the pipe was about in the bucket? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and second question is a bit more general. So um, from the pictures I've seen from your Instagram account, I only saw um, coffee plants. Do you think the next step would be maybe less productive farms, but that would integrate um, principles of permaculture and therefore polyculture to create more of an equilibrium and maybe increase the quality of the coffee plants? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, my main concern is fixing the soil, uh, but it's hard to have healthy soils if you don't have a lot of other plants growing there, yeah. producing organic materials. So we actually, we do have other plants. Okay. We planted already eight different types of shade trees. I'm going to plant fruit trees. We have bigger spacing between the coffee trees, but I don't think our productivity necessarily will go down okay. because the plants actually get more sunlight. They have more space to get more nutrients. So I have actually have a bet uh, with a agronomist uh, that if I'm able to produce the same amount per hectare uh, as my neighboring farm, he will give me a set of golf clubs. Nice. Uh, <laughs> of course, if I lose, then I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Hi, uh, we know how important the water is in brewing, and uh, my question is, how does it affect the soil? How does the the mineral content of the water and the pH and the uh, the uh, all of these things how do how does this interact with the the microorganisms? I mean, I imagine bacteria needs a particular pH, certain bacteria and fungus. Yeah, but. Yeah, <laughs> Max. Uh, the good thing about uh, living organisms is that they actually regulate the pH themselves. So uh, typically, when you measure a soil measurement for for analysis, you'll take a couple of samples, and then they say, "Oh, the pH of the soil is uh, seven or six Or, but if you measure around the root zone that has a lot of organisms around it, if there's a lot of fungus feeding on the plant on this side, they will have a very different pH than if you have bacteria over here. And you have different types of bacteria as well. So, I mean, the, the organisms are actually regulating that in, in, uh, in, uh, in partnership with the plant. So I don't really need to, if you put lime on, for instance, you just kill a lot of the organisms. Uh, so that's not very good. Um, so I'm just letting nature do its job and just encouraging the right balance in the soil. And that's what I have to figure out, how much percentage of fungus do I need in comparison to bacteria and so on for the coffee plant to really to really thrive. There's one more alkaline and one more acidic. Yes, yeah. Probably time for one or two more questions. I've got one at the back here, which I'm gonna struggle to get to, but I'll do my best. Uh, can you pass this along? Thank you. Uh, Andres from the Beans on Fire. Thank you for your expose. It's very nice that you don't know what you're doing because that's innovation, that's really cool. Uh, so when will be available your first crop in this new generation soil? And uh, will it be more expensive or cheaper than the average specialty coffee? What do you think? <laughs> it's less costly to produce, you're saying, so... No, uh, I'm actually not... Uh, 
I, I expect a crop maybe in three or four years. We were set back quite a lot now because we didn't have water and new plants really need water. Uh, so we're, we had to replant a lot. So probably in three to four years, I'll have a production that is sellable, hopefully, unless my plant just dies and I have to retire. Uh, the price, I don't really know. I want to let the market uh, dictate the price. Uh, so I want the quality to speak for itself. Of course, my production costs are lower, so I can still make money even if the price is kind of low. Uh, yeah. But we have to pay Norwegian crowns. And of course. Yeah, well, that will be expensive because your euro's worth nothing here. Um, coming forward to Katie. Thank you. Um, I have visited some coffee farms and I've seen a lot of worm composting systems. Um, I guess my basic understanding of that is that the decomposition sort of happens inside of the worm as opposed to just free. Can you talk about uh, the difference between your compost and worm compost and why you went the route you went? Yeah, uh, worm compost is really good, uh, but it tends to be more bacterial dominated from what I've learned. And I just uh, suspect that uh, coffee plants need more fungal dominated because it's a shrub and it lives in forests where most of the soils are actually fungus. So when you walk on it, it's sort of spongy. That's because uh, the fungus is sort of binding everything together. So, um, and also, I mean, thermal compost is really easy to make. Uh, uh, so it just made sense to, for me to do that. We might uh, actually add some worm compost at the farm, but possibly for more like vegetable crops and stuff uh, for, the, for the farmers or workers to eat. Another question, last one, so. Um Go on, we'll go. We haven't been over this side of the room. I feel like o I've over time is my middle in. name. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Um, so we talked about bad and good content in soil. Uh, looking at farms across the world, how easy is it to strip out bad stuff? Like, if you yourself end up with bad stuff in your soil, or the probably thousands of farms that already have bad stuff in their soil, could you take it out? Yeah. Um, it's about creating an environment that sort of starts dominating. So if you start having a lot of oxygen in your soil, the anaerobic organisms will go dormant and fall asleep until there's no oxygen, then they will wake up. So, uh, but you really need to encourage uh, the protozoa and nematodes and stuff. So putting on compost is, is the best way to do it, I think. And uh, my professor tells me that if you do everything according to the textbook, you can change a conventional farm to this kind of system in one to two years. You will lose some crop in that transition. Uh, you will have some lower yields, but uh, then you will have higher yields afterwards. So if you do it right, according to the rain season and so on, you can do it in one to two years. I'm probably expecting maybe two to three years from me because yeah. there is no plants there. So there is going to be another chance after to grill Tim because we're going to be having a panel session that he's going to be joining once uh, the morning speakers have uh, all been up. So, um, yeah, please a huge round of applause for Mr. Tim Wendelbo. Thank you.